Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Matthew chapter 5, 33 to 37 in our Bibles. If you're taking notes, the title of the message today is Always Under Oath. Always Under Oath. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview, where we look at Jesus' view on the world, Jesus' opinions. Really, what does he think about this? What does he think about that? And it's really beautiful because in the book of Matthew, he literally covers, I mean, hundreds of topics that I'm not clever enough to figure out or talk about. It's been a joy to look through his eyes in the midst of this foggy, disastrous, stormy environment. Heard of a story of a dog who ran into a butcher shop and grabbed a roast off the counter. Fortunately, the butcher recognized the dog as belonging to a neighbor of his. The neighbor happened to be a lawyer. The butcher called up his neighbor and said, Hey, if your dog stole a roast from my butcher shop, would you be liable for the cost of meat? The lawyer replied, Of course. How much was the roast? The butcher said, $7.98, sir, exactly. $7.98 to be exact. Well, a few days later, the butcher received a check in the mail for $7.98. Attached to it was an invoice that read, legal consultation service fee, $150. (laughs) It's all in the details. Those bargains, those contracts, it's all in the details, especially in this day and age. Statisticbrain.com talked about lying statistics. You want to hear some of them? Percentage of adults who admit to telling lies, sometimes or often, is 12%. Percent of women who admit to occasionally telling harmless half-truths, I love all the compounding there, 80% of the time. 80% of people who admit to lying on their resumes, 31%. 13% of patients who lie to their doctors tell full lies. 32% of patients who seem to stretch the truth or to tell their doctor not exactly what they mean. And 30% of patients lie about their diet and exercise. 60% of people lie at least once during a 10-minute conversation. Wow. I wonder if the percentage goes up in LA, right? You kind of can't tell who you can trust here in LA. We live in a different time, don't we? There was a time that I heard about from my grandma, that when a man said that he was going to do something, he did it. He kept his word. He didn't have to swear on it a thousand times to get you to believe him. His word was his bond. A handshake went a long way. But today, everyone is lying, it seems, taking advantage, ripping each other off, lying for personal gain. And today we will see Jesus actually actually go after the Pharisees because of their mindsets. The way that they looked at the law of God once again. As we know, they twisted the truth of God's word to make it mean what they wanted to. And we see this a lot in America. People love surface religion, but their hearts seem to be far from God. 
Jesus wouldn't have it. He goes right after the heart again. The matter, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. He always goes after the root. People love um, surface commitments and surface experiences. They don't want to completely dive in. We see the Pharisees do this. We see, again, the church do this. But that's what makes us uncomfortable when we look at the words of Christ often. And I challenge you, family, I challenge you to read through a book of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I challenge you to read through any one of them just one time and just meditate on it. Just allow, it, allow yourself to process it to figure out what it's actually saying. The, the, the sayings are challenging. The things that he's calling us to, if they're really true, are, wow, radical. C.S. Lewis, the great author and mine, said that Jesus was either a liar and a lunatic or he was actually telling the truth. He told the rich young ruler to go sell everything that he had. Who does that? I don't know a single guru to tell somebody to do that. That's wild. He says that he can forgive people's sins. Jesus said he was the son of God. Jesus said that he could raise himself from the dead. Jesus said, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my body, you'll have no part with me. What? They said to him, that's a hard saying. And they walked away because they didn't understand. The text tells us that Jesus ran from the crowds. He ran into solitary confinement all, all the time. He would go up on the hill. He would go away into the wilderness and seek and spend time with his father. Jesus was different. And he is different still today. He calls us to being absolutely different from the rest of this culture. We're going to read verses 33 to 37. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word. We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him, to remember whose word we are reading. Not my words. Not my opinions. My job and what I try to do the best is to simply... Look at what Christ has said and tell you exactly what he has said. And my question to you often will be, well, what do you think it says? You read it for yourself and you tell me what it means. And we'll look at the details of what's being said and we get to come to a conclusion of what Christ is calling his people to. I want God's opinion. I want to know what he has said. I want his truth. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus said to them, his disciples, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as your disciples, Lord, we ask that you would please clarify this to us. Give us wisdom on what it means in our lives. Give us wisdom. 
We thank you, Lord, that you cut through all of the fog and all the fluff. And, Lord, you just get right to the heart of the matter. And we pray that it would encourage us. We pray that it would actually build us and, and that it would actually afford us wonderful things in life. And we wouldn't be a lying people. We wouldn't be a people who have to tr- stress the truth, but a people who are clear, people who can be trusted on as we are able to trust on you. Lord, you never waver. You keep your promises. You keep your word to the very end. We thank you for being faithful to us. Reveal your truth to us now, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. This is Jesus' fourth statement out of six. He keeps saying this over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said in this culture, but I'm going to tell you what it really means. You've heard it said, but I say to you. We'll first look at what the law of Moses really said. Then we'll look at what the Pharisees are falsely saying about the law of Moses. And then we will look at Jesus clarifying the law of Almighty God. First, this phrase, Jesus says, is actually not found in the law of Moses anywhere. Did you know that? This phrase that he is quoting, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This is not found in the Bible. The Pharisees made this one up. This was a phrase going around that people thought was in the law of Moses because they heard it so much, but it actually wasn't there. Isn't that crazy? Even in Jesus' day, people were saying phrases and things that they thought were in the law. Well, the law said, well, the Bible says, well, Moses said, and he actually never said it, but they thought he did. There are many quotes going around today that people think are in the Bible, but they aren't. Did you know that? Are you ready for a couple? God helps those who help themselves. Not in there. I mean, I like it, but it's not in there. God actually doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. Yeah. He helps those who are desperately in need of help. He helps those who are broken. What about cleanliness is next to godliness? (laughs) Cleanliness is next to godliness? Who says this? All right, so that's what, uh, that's what mom says, you know, to, uh, to get the kids in order. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Though a, a statement that I use often, it's not actually in the Bible. Although this is a biblical sounding, it is not directly from the Bible. It's actually a loose quote from something Gandhi wrote in 1929. Hate the sin, not the sinner. Augustine expressed a similar thought back in A.D., 424, yes, 1,600 years ago, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. That's a better way to say it, actually. Augustine got it right. With love for mankind, but hatred of sins. We are to love people generally. We are to love our neighbor, but we are to hate sin. We are to hate what is evil. We are to, yes, stand against the wicked, stand against the evil, But we are not to hate someone one-on-one. We are to love them, pursue them, and minister the gospel to them. Would I have hatred for a group of people who are doing complete evil 
Um, let's just say those taking advantage of children. Do I have hatred for them? Absolutely. Those that we love and those who want to hurt what we love immediately causes hatred. The Bible says very clearly that God hates the wicked over and over and over again. But he has a love for the world. He has a hate for the ideas, for the ways, for the acts, but he still has somehow a love for his enemy. So much so that he would pursue them, lay down his life for them, call them to repentance and make them his own. Who is that? That's me. I was running from God. I was doing my own thing. And for some reason, he pursued me. I was doing evil, wicked things against God. And for some reason, he pursued me. The apostle Paul would say, I am the chief of all sinners. But God made me an apostle for some reason. The apostle Paul would say, Saul of Tarsus was his name. I was killing Christians. I was grabbing them by the back of the neck there when Christ had risen from the dead and Christianity was trying to spread. And I was dragging them into prison and throwing them in there and having them cut down and killed. And then Jesus of Nazareth showed up on the road and stopped me in my tracks and called me to be his apostle. And Paul was broke to the core and he is forever grateful for the grace of God in his life. What a beautiful thing that God has done. Praise God that he has loved, loved us and has a love for mankind. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. What about this one? Money is the root of all evil. No, wait, that's in the Bible. No, it's not. You misquoted it. This is a common misconception with an easy fix. Not money is the root of all evil. No, not money. 1 Timothy 6.10, it actually says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil in and of itself. Currency, uh, this little piece of paper with ink on it, <laughs> uh, a piece of gold, a piece of silver, it's not the peace itself that is evil it is the love of it that is evil that's called greed and that's in the heart and this is helpful because we have a lot of things floating around in society that people think are in the bible it's not even there and we have a lot of things that are in the bible that people don't even know are in the bible because nobody wants to talk about them <laughs> Like, no, let's stay away from the, don't preach and don't talk about those things. Why not? Don't you want the world to know what's really in here? So again, the phrase Jesus is speaking against is not found in the law of Moses. The Pharisees made it up. It was happening back then. It happens now. Jesus corrects them. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Not in the Bible. What does the law of Moses actually say? Point number one, if you're taking notes, what does the law of Moses actually say about oaths? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, it says this. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name shall you swear. Leviticus 19.12 also says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So why were these laws put in place, and what do they mean? The people in Moses' days were lying to one another over all kinds of different things, and no longer were people able to rely on one another. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? 
man's simple words were not enough anymore. A handshake was broke, is a broken promise before it even happens. Why do we have to have contracts on everything? I mean everything. It's like, oh, uh, we should probably pull out a piece of you know, paper and napkin and write that down, get signatures from both people because no one can trust each other anymore. So the judicial law back in Moses' time stated that you are not allowed to make an oath with anyone unless it is done in the name of God. This is to show how serious the oath is. And it is not to be thrown around in every conversation just to get what you want from other people and then lie about it. So they would have to swear on the name of God in Moses' day. That's scary. I'm going to do this, and I swear to you before Almighty God. Wow. Second, the judicial law stated you were not to swear by the Lord's name, then break that vow or oath. If you say it, you are bound to it. So do you see what this does? If it locked the people into a place, if you were to take an oath, it has to be done in God's name only. And if you break that vow, you're in big trouble. You see how this would shut down a lot of lying and manipulating and taking oaths by taking an oath in that day. It was a helpful law, and it was trying to corral people away from making such su substantial statements to one another and then not keeping those commitments. Point number two, what did the Pharisees say about oaths? That's what Moses taught about oaths. What did the Pharisees, the religious leaders, if you don't know the Pharisees were, they were the guys in the religious garbs. They looked super holy on the outside, but their hearts were dead on the inside. Um, they didn't know God, and Jesus was calling them out. That's a beautiful thing. Jesus looked like a stinking poor man. He's got a, he's got this, you know, robe on him. He's got a beard. He's a, he's a dark-skinned guy. How do we know this? Because he's from the Middle East, number one, and he worked in the sun all day, every day. He was a carpenter. He's getting baked in the sun. He had dark skin. He had a dark beard. You wouldn't be able to point him out in a crowd. Did you know that? How do we know that? Isaiah tells him that there was nothing to behold of him. He was not beautiful. And second, so, so the whole blonde hair, blue eyes, Jesus portraits where he's like this with a lamb. Wrong. <laughs> and then second, the reason we know that is because, and again, I like the picture. I, I saw it was in my house too, but it's not an accurate portrayal, okay? Um, uh, the second way we know that you couldn't spot him in a crowd is because Judas had to identify him to the soldiers with a kiss. The soldiers are like, okay, which one is he? Which one do we arrest? It's the dude with the glowing halo. No, no, no. It, he's not there. I don't see him. Don't you see him? He's glowing. No, there's nobody glowing over there. He's just an average guy. They all look the same to me. Look like a bunch of fishermen, carpenters, construction guys. Okay, I'll identify him with a kiss. You walk up and he kissed him on the, tree, on the cheek. And Jesus was still gracious to him even then. Amazing. Remember that moment? I love that story. Judas kisses him. He says, you should betray me like a friend with a kiss. And then Peter gets ticked off and he pulls out his sword. He starts swinging the thing. He's like swinging. And he cuts off a guy's ear. Malchus, the high priest, cuts off his ear. What does Jesus do in the middle of the arrest? Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. He picks up the dude's ear and puts it back on and heals him. Gets arrested and goes to the cross. That is a king I will follow. 
That is a savior I will lay my life down for. He called the Pharisees out. He was different from these guys. He, the Pharisees had turned this into a legal law issue only, a courtroom issue only. Basically, you are not to commit perjury under oath. But they would go around lying to people everywhere using oaths to manipulate situations. They would say to themselves, we've kept the law. We have never sworn falsely against the Lord in court under oath. Never. We would never do something like that. But then in public, everywhere else, they would make all kinds of oaths and swearing by all kinds of different things, as Jesus will point out. And they would do this to fool people. They're again, uh, they're, they again are attacking as if they haven't sinned outwardly but are sinning great, greatly inwardly. They had minimized their sin in their own mind to one law they had to keep. And if that wasn't broken, they were good. We do this many times as well, family. We really do. Many times we will be looking down on others saying, man, I can't believe that person. You ever done that? Can't believe that person. They're doing this. How can they do that and live like that, sinner? And in your own heart, think, but I do this and this. And that's how I know I'm good and I'm better than that person because I have kept my own law. I am so good and holy. Be careful to do this. This is self-righteousness and this is the most dangerous sin of all. It's subtle, it's sneaky, and it gets at you without you even knowing. The second you start thinking that that person needs Jesus more than you, you're in danger. We all need Jesus the same. I need him the same as you. Yeah, but pastor, you're like a pastor and stuff. You're like, you got to be like extra holy, right? You got that extra holy sauce. No, no, I don't. No, I don't. I got the same sauce as you. I cling to Jesus daily just like you. I am a sinner in need of a savior just like you. For some reason, God has called me to do this, and God has called you to do that. I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to do, trying to be a faithful servant. I don't know why he gave me these gifts. I got dragged into this thing, to be honest. I, I had desires to be a preacher. I, when I saw it happening, the desires started to build in my heart, but I never dreamed about it as a kid. When I grow up, I'm going to do this. It never happened. I just started ministering to young people. And I just love seeing people come to Jesus. I love seeing people be built up and encouraged. And then I was slowly just drawn into the thing. I got sucked into it. And now I'm at a point where like, what if, if I just stop today? If I stop preaching, I think people kind of get in my face and be like, why are you squandering your gift? You can't do that. You have to do this. Even if I said it, I don't want to do it anymore. I know that it would haunt me long term because the Lord has for some reason equipped me with these types of gifts. Some are mouths, some are eyes, some are hands, some are feet, some are ears. There are many parts in the body and we work together as a body to accomplish the work of Christ. We are the body of Christ with many members. We all have giftings, but I don't want to be a big toe. We need the big toe. You take the big toe away, the balance is off. We need every member. Be careful never to think that you are better than someone else. No, no. 
We're all beggars. Just coming to another beggar asking if they want some bread. You hungry? I found some bread. The Lord Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven. The living water. We need to remember who we are. Remember where we came from. If we could just get L.A. to get down on that level, man, we, we would transform this place. If you could get down on that level, lower yourself, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. The Lord desires a broken and contrite spirit before him. That is a sacrifice that is pleasing. That's what he desires. The scribes and the Pharisees, man, they were walking around all holy in their garbs, thinking they had it all together, bossing people around, trying to tell people what to do religiously. Jesus says, you guys got it so wrong. Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, verse 1, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Don't follow their example. For they preach, but don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They don't do things in secret where your Father in heaven sees. God cuts through all the fluff. That's the best thing. You, you, can't, you can't fool him. I just love that. You can fool me. People try to fool me all the time in the church. I'm just like, you know what? You want to fool me? You want to steal from the church? You want to try to take advantage of churches and that? I don't care. God sees. You're done long term. And people have tried to do it over the last six years. And the Lord just shows up and goes, bam, I'm sorry, you're out. And it relieves the pressure from me. I'm thankful. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And Jesus says, I see your heart. We know that it is not wrong to take oaths, as the law of Moses has said, but it is not to be thrown around and used to manipulate people. We take oaths. Do you know where we take them in society? Which are good ones? We take oaths in marriage, don't we? We do take an oath on the witness stand. We are sworn into many positions. These moments are a huge deal, and an oath should be taken before God. This is good. But it's when people abuse the oath and lie, this is the problem. We see this in money deals. We sign on the bottom line, but behind everything, they're ripping the person off. We see this with marriage. People will get married just to get someone's money. The young girl marrying the super old rich guy or the super old rich guy manipulating the young girl. It's really sad. They just sign on that dotted line just to get whatever they want. We see this in wars. We see it with nations. They say, peace. They sign the peace treaty. They're committed on the dotted line. And they just go and do whatever they want. They sign on the contract only to deceive. Do you know Hitler did this? 1938. Hitler and Chamberlain met twice for the purpose of discussing reproportionment of Czechoslovakia, of the Germans under Czech rule, and Hitler assured Chamberlain that war could be averted if this signing occurred. In fact, Hitler had already mobilized the German army for an attack on Czech, but the army would not be ready to attack for several weeks. Hitler hopes that Chamberlain will prevent the Czechs from mobilizing and allow for a surprise attack by Germany. 
the conclusion of meeting Chamberlain said of Hitler, I got the impression that here was a man that could be relied upon when he had given his word. He, Hitler fooled him to his face. Had the Czechs mobilized in time, World War II probably would have been different. But this lie was one of the most interesting in that both Chamberlain and Hitler were participants in a way. Chamberlain was so invested in his policy of appeasement that he wanted to believe Hitler. If he didn't or if he was wrong, this would be the end of his political career. It is said that Hitler told an aide after this meeting that Chamberlain's government would not last the week. He, he got him to, he fronted to his face. He got him to sign on the dotted line, let's be allies, we'll work together. And then he turned around and walked out to his secretary and said, this government ain't even lasting one week. We got him. Snaked him to his face. I'm telling you, people do this. And I want you to be careful of these things. Because this kind of stuff is even happening in the church. Did you know that? On TV, these televangelists promising all this stuff up front, telling you you're going to be rich, healthy, and prosperous if you do X, Y, Z. Just, just send me this amount, and I'm going to send you a golden handkerchief and some water. Sprinkle it all over your head three times. Tap your shoes together. Jump in the air and say hallelujah, and you're going to be this. What? Where does it say that in the Bible? You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus would say, please listen to the word of God. Why? Because it will be your wisdom to discern in those moments when you got a snake looking you in the face trying to deceive you. You'll be able to cut right through the fog and be like, wait a minute, let me look at this guy's deeds. Wait a minute, let me look at what he's saying, what he's trying to do. Let me pray about this and go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you give me wisdom on this? Is this a wise decision? Reveal the truth. We need God to step in and lead and guide us in all of these things. Point number three and finally, Jesus says we are always under oath. Always. But I say to you, do not take an oath, verse 34, at all, Jesus says, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's it. Isn't this great? Jesus cuts right to the heart and just simplifies the whole thing for us. Just be always under oath before God, and when you say you're going to do something, yes, I'm going to do it, it's before God. You say, I can't do something, you say no, right up front, it's before God. It's really simple. Jesus says, do not take an oath at all, but by heaven, earth, or Jerusalem, or by your own head, just don't do it. Just say yes or no. Quit trying to convince people you are committed. Then do the opposite. Just say yes or no. Basically, stop lying. Now this, not taking an oath at all, doesn't mean we don't do vows at weddings or sign contracts or go under oath in, in a court of law, because even Christ himself stood under an oath before the high priest. Um, the apostle Paul made oaths before God and people in his letters. Jesus says the opposite. 
Just don't try and use other things to make people think you are really committed, but you are not. You don't need all the extra fluff. It sounds like it's a heart issue. It's a priority issue. I remember when I was in elementary school, kids would say things like, you know, say things and you, you would question them whether or not they, they really meant it. And then they would say, I swear, man, I swear. Swear on my mom, they'd say. Like, make it really serious. And then, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, you know. We do these little things to emphasize. We spit in the hand, right, with a handshake. We make a little cut incision of blood with a handshake. Jesus says, don't swear by anything to make your word more valid. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your word be your word. Let your life show testimony that when you say you're going to do something, just do it. If you can't do it, just let the person know you can't do it. It's very simple. I failed in this area greatly over the years. I would overcommit and underperform. Now I want to basically undercommit and overperform. I didn't know I was putting people in the position I was putting them in. And I really didn't realize this more than ever until um, probably the last like seven, eight years of my life where I would be scheduling my life because my life becomes very scheduled into hour increments or day-to-day, -day. everything is scheduled from time to time. And then I would plant, somebody would change the plans, and then I would, I would shift my plans around to try to accommodate them, and then they would change them again, then I would shift them again to accommodate them. And I'm moving the entire schedule around to accommodate, and then all of a sudden they cancel, and then I'm like, I just shifted everything to do that. But what, what happened to me, the point is not me bombing this person, this is the point. I started to realize that I do that to people. And then I start to realize that I'm inconveniencing them and that I am not being helpful at, by saying no or by saying yes, I need to work on this. This happens a lot. Legacy, we are always under oath. God is always listening. Let me say that again. We're always under oath. God is always listening. He is our accountability. Nothing worse than someone telling you they're going to do something, then they don't hold up their end. It costs people money, time, energy and all the rest. Sure, we all have to have patience with people and have understanding. There's, it's okay to show grace. Someone isn't perfectly on time. It's okay to show grace if somebody has to cancel and reschedule. All of that is okay. We need to grow in those things. But it's one thing when someone who is always keeping their word drops the ball or who isn't always keeping the word drops the ball again. It's like, okay, no big deal. But it's the person who you can never rely on. They're always promising the world, and they never pull through. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Simple. You don't have to convince somebody. Are you going to do it? Yes. If you can't do it, just say no. Just say no. Um, I was so bad at this. I, uh, we had an accountability group like through my 20s, my, my uh, bunch of my brothers, and I had one guy um, who used to ask me every week how many times I said no to people, because I love to say yes to people, because I want to help them, but I'd say too many yeses, and then I couldn't help anybody, so he would literally ask me every week, how many times do you say no? How many times do you say no? I'd have to write down how many times I say no. Another guy used to watch my bank account. I gave him access to my account so he could watch all my transactions. So I could start getting accountability as to what I was spending on because it was out of control.
If people watch my internet usage, watch my social media. Accountability is helpful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The sin here is not breaking a judicial law in court, it's lying. Lying damages people, relationships, lives, jobs, marriages, and friendships. We all need more of this in our lives. It shouldn't be a burden, it should be a blessing. You figure out what you need. You figure out what your plan of accountability looks like. It's not the same as anybody else's. It looks different for all of us. We all need to be able to keep our commitments. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Proverbs 12.22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, actually, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Colossians 3.9, listen to this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Legacy, we are always under oath. God is always listening. Remember, Jesus is combating the image and the law that the Pharisees are creating and showing the true meaning of God's desires for people. Is it a bad thing to tell the truth? Nope, never. It's a great thing. Can you imagine if we lived in a society where we could trust everyone? Everyone. Wouldn't that be magical? Never have to wonder if your mechanic is lying to you. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, I was looking at the motor and it kind of looks like, and then they start rattling off all kinds of things that you don't understand. Hey, you're really going to have to, you know, change this out and change that out. Like, what? I just got all tuned up last week and they didn't say anything. Yeah, I know, but something happened. I'm sorry. Never have to wonder if your financial advisor has your best interest. The Christian has been redeemed by Christ. Family, legacy. We are a people who can be counted on as trustworthy and reliable. We should do the best business in this city. Our good reputation should go before us. Everyone who knows us should say, you can trust that person. If they say they're going to do it, they will. They will own up to their faults and they don't cover up anything. They make it right if they have messed it up. I love that. Why can't we just say I messed up? Just say you're sorry. I didn't do it right. I failed. It's okay to do that. Do you know that? It's okay to say you're wrong. It's okay to say you failed. I messed up. It's actually one of the best things you could ever tell somebody because it lets, know, lets you know they're being honest. Jesus is saying the Christian simply says yes or no, and you totally believe them. One simple word holds the weight of a lifetime commitment in Christ in marriage in a covenant. Yes. 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 Yes, Lord. I know you're listening. Proverbs 12, 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Hey, church. Hey, legacy. Aren't you glad that when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, you know he only has to say it once, and he means it, when he says nothing can separate you from the love of God, he means it. 
When he says, I will provide all of your needs, he means it. When he says, cast your burden upon me and I will give you rest, he means it. When he says it is finished, sin has been defeated, the grave has been conquered, you are my child, you are saved from your sins, I hold nothing against you because of Christ. He really truly means it, forgiven, forever. God's grace will be poured on you forever. That's the best news I've ever heard. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. He keeps his promise and commitment. Learn from him. Look to him. Let it deepen your words, deepen your commitments. Amen? He has never broken a promise, never broken a commitment. He is faithful to a thousand generations. Let that reflect in our lives, in our families, in our friends, in our business, in our work, in our neighborhoods. What a treasure a reliable person is, huh? Like, man, they say they're going to be there. They're going to be there. I got a best buddy from childhood, man. I literally, I'm like, hey, Kyle, can you come over here? We're going to rip out like, you know, 30, 40 feet of concrete. Can you come help me? Dude shows up. I haven't talked to him in like six months. He just shows up. He's there. He's always been there my whole life. He's a brother. I have a lot of brothers like this. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for the. I'm getting an amen. I hear that cry. It's okay. God is holy, and we are to be holy. God keeps his word, and we are to be holy as he is. As our Father in heaven is holy, it's not a moment, it's not a contract, it's who we are. Legacy, we are always under oath. God is always listening. Amen? We're going to close in prayer with some grace because um, this is an easy one. You've all broken promises. Me too. We've all broken commitments. We've all dropped the ball probably even this week. <laughs> Yet God still loves us. God's still committed. Can you imagine... If God's commitment to us was the same commitment that we have to him, yikes, we'd all be up a tree. I'm motivated. I am challenged. My faith is deepened by his commitment. Yep, this is the sermon today. Simply about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. We're going to ask God to deepen our greatest commitment, and that's our relationship with him first. Then we're going to ask the Lord to deepen our relationship with our friends and families and co-workers, businesses, that we would be the most reliable people in L.A. because our God is reliable. It would shine brightly in this city. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we worship you now. Lord, you are truly more faithful than the sun rising every day. We know the sun's going to rise every day, and you are more faithful than that. You will remain to the very end. Lord Jesus, we have said yes to you. Understanding that we've sinned against you. We've done wrong. Understanding the work that you did on the cross to heal our sin, to heal our relationship with God our Father. And Lord, we want to repent again today. We want to turn away just from not being a covenant-keeping people, not being a committed people on so many levels, Lord. Maybe we're great at contracts, but we're not good at personal relationship. Maybe we're great at personal relationship with friends, but not good with our family. 
They were good with all of those things, but we're just not good with our relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we ask that you deepen our commitment to you now. Lord, when we say yes to you, be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, be my friend. We say yes, I turn away from sin. We actually mean it. We say yes, we turn away from the ways of the world. We say we actually mean it. We're committed. We're covenanted with you. We mean what we say. And Lord, as we commit our lives to you again, I pray that our commitment to one another would deepen, that we would be a people who can simply just look someone in the face and say yes, or say no. Not be worried about offending, not be worried about hurting, but more worried about what you think. We want to be reliable. Lord, build our relationships with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our family, and with our friends. We pray that our reputation would go before us and it would be a reputation of you. Oh, you know that person? That's a Christian. Oh yeah, they're committed for sure. Not the opposite. Oh God, please help our hearts. Please grow us for your glory. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up. The reason why a sermon like this is so needed and so helpful, I remember when I first came in contact with a couple um, Christian businessmen who were very successful, had done very well. And they were kind of teaching me the ropes just about working and investing and just life. And I remember one of them telling me, who was one of the most generous, gracious men I'd ever talked talk to and known. He's a mentor. He said, I don't like doing business with Christians. What? I don't do business with Christians. What? Yeah, they, they, if they tell me they're Christian, I don't want to do business with them because they're not going to keep their word most of the time. I'm like, what? He was an atheist, became a believer, very successful. Of course, his heart has changed now long-term because he has more understanding. But it really bothered me that we weren't the best of the best of the best, not just for the sake of being the best, but because we have a God who has shown this covenant to us, how in the world can we not show this to the world? we got to take this back. Our word should be our bond. Somebody shakes my hand. Somebody shakes your hand. We know. We can be reliable. They know we can be reliable. We need to see this in L.A. Oh, you know a Christian? I want to do business with them. Could you bring them in our circle? They're going to build the place up. I know it. Encouragement. I remember Salvador. Salvador Mendez. He jumped the border when he was 14. He came over here. He picked the fields. He drove truck for like 10 years and saved all of his money. Then he hired me at like 19, 20 years old. He'd buy a plot of land and he would develop it and build it. And uh, we would move on to the next site. We'd buy a plot of land and we would develop it. And uh, he told me, I remember, I'll never forget. And I wasn't even, I didn't feel like I was doing a lot of right. But he said, you know, Josh, the reason why you're going to stand with me is because you're a Christian. I can't trust these other construction guys. You're going to stand on my job site 15 hours a day. I'm going to pay you well. But I, I trust you. Wow. Thank you. Okay, that's my alarm going off. I said it earlier to let me know it's time to stop. <laughs> um, but it really ministered to me even as a young kid because for some reason Salvador saw something in me 
He was a heathen to the highest degree, just running rampant money and women and alcohol and you name it. But he said, I know you're not going to steal from me. And I know you can, you, you can stand on the job site and we'll get stuff done. And I really thought that was magical because I knew who I was and I didn't see anything special in my life. But somehow he could see the Lord moving. And I want to see more of that here in L.A. I want to see more of that here in our family, in our life, especially here in Legacy. So we're going to close in a worship song, something to reflect on and think on as we go our way. Um, I really love to see us grow in these areas. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Amen.